Hi, this is Elia Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And when I was in Australia last month, I was asked to give this as the final talk of the meeting, which was CT in the year 2021, what's ahead. And what I said then, and what I've said in several other talks on this topic, is that the simple thing to say is that what will change, what will stay the same, everything and nothing. So radiology is under a constant flux, and that's really the good news. We are getting better scanners, better technology. It is an exciting time today, and I think by 2021, it's only going to be more exciting. There are many ways of looking at change and predicting, and I think predicting is indeed very hard. It's hard enough to predict the weather tomorrow, let alone what's going to happen in a decade or so. John Kennedy uh, made the very famous quote, for time in the world, do not stand still. Change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or the present are certain to miss the future, and we surely do not want to miss that. I think our uh, thoughts have always been to be very aggressive in discovering and developing new things, whether it's CTSS, our iPad apps, for example, or 3D imaging. And Alan Kay, who was one of the key people at Apple in their development, made the point that the best way to predict the future was indeed to invent it. It's hard to predict things, it's surely true. Steve Jobs made the point in his very famous Stanford address that you can't connect the dots looking forward. You only can connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and has made all the difference in my life. And that's really a good way of thinking about things. You know. It's always easy after the fact, it's kind of Monday morning quarterbacking to say what went right or what went wrong. Thinking about it prospectively is always a challenge because even when you plan, uh, as uh, Pincott said, innovation never happens as planned. And probably another great philosopher, Yogi Berra, made the point, you've got to be careful if you don't know where you're going because you might just not get there. Now, people who are very smart have made predictions which often kind of make them look stupid, which is why I'm always afraid of making predictions. Charles Duell quit the patent office in 1899 saying that everything that can be invented has been invented. I think he was off by just a little bit. Thomas Watson, who was the founder of IBM, felt that there was maybe a market for five computers in the world. I have five computers in my office at home, let alone in the world. And Bill Gates, who knows a lot about a lot of things, 640K ought to be enough for anybody. I'm not sure 640K does anything. My images on CTSS are 3.2 megabytes or six times or so larger. Now, if you look at my track record, it's almost the same as Bill Gates's. When I started doing 3D, and this is back when we were working with Pixar and Bob Drebin, who has a patent for volume rendering, we spoke about how volume rendering was a new approach to 3D imaging to overcome many of the drawbacks of currently available systems, and we thought it was going to change the world. And four years later, we wrote another article that 3D imaging was becoming a valuable tool for both diagnostic and therapeutic display of digital information, and we felt in this state-of-the-art article in radiology that as radiology entered the 1990s, we predicted that one of the major achievements of the decade will be the widespread diffusion of this technology. Now, that didn't exactly occur. More people did use it, but 15 years later, 2006, we made this point in a radiographics article that radiologists must embrace this new paradigm shift from axial CT to primary 3D imaging. And here we go again. We predict that within a few years, 3D CT will no longer be a specialized study. 
that a select patient's bolos be part of the review of routine cases. Well, we should have known better because in 2012 we say the same thing. Post-processing of CT data is no longer an option, but a true requirement in this era of 64-row CT and beyond. So there's no doubt that more and more people are using 3D imaging these days, but in predicting, a lot of what we predicted was before the rise in CT technology at 64 slice with isotropic data sets and very large volume sets. Indeed, it became a very practical thing, but still today when I speak to people at courses, less than 10% of people really do 3D imaging aggressively in their practice. And when you think about technology, there's no doubt that technology has improved. We have the new scanners. We thought it was incredible with 64 slice to scan an abdomen in 10 seconds, and now we can do it in half a second. We look at the components of our department. Um, you know, we can think about things in many different ways. Acquisition devices like CT and MR. We talk about PACs or RISs and reading stations. We talk about networking. We talk about post-processing workstations. Um, if you want to go forward and predict what's going to happen as you look forward, it's somewhat easy. You're dealing with four very important companies. The Siemens and GEs and the Philips and Toshibas do far more than make CT scanning. And that's a small part of what they do, the whole medical business in the scheme of things. But it's not hard to predict that if I was looking 10 years hence, the scanners would be faster with higher spatial resolution, with lower dose, with dual energy standard. We'd see new contrast agents, routine perfusion and quantification. We'd see expert systems helping to detect everything from lung nodules to colon polyps to looking at the uh, patterns of the liver so much will change and the speed for example will reach surely even less than 2023 by 2020 there's no doubt that temporal resolution speed will approach classic angiography and i think by that time radiation issues will never go away don't ever expect them to go away but every year it'll be less of an issue as the scanners get better because of better detectors and post-processing and everything else we're doing now in radiation we have come a long way obviously uh, we no longer fit shoes with a radiation device. But the challenge of radiation is something we deal with And articles like this one by Brenner, which estimated how many patients would get cancer from CT, uh, making assumptions like one-third of all studies are unnecessary, and then 20 million adults and a million children are being radiated unnecessarily. Again, we need to go with the science of things, but we need to recognize that we need to really optimize protocols. And one of the big things is as scanners go forward, it's easier to optimize protocols. Scanners are getting safer and better across a range of parameters. And Fletcher does make the point that while radiation risk estimates at low doses associated with CT can contain considerable uncertainty, we want to err on the side of safety by assuming a small risk exists, even though the risk at these doses may be zero. So there's no surprise. Whether it's 2020 or it's 2014 or it's RSNA 2013, you're going to see scanners with more efficient detector materials. The detector arrays will, acquire, will need less x-rays to acquire data. You'll have pre- and post-processing algorithms that will indeed be critical to minimize dose yet maximize information. And the optimal scan protocols will be 
given to us not just by the radiologist but by the scanner itself based on expert systems. So things indeed will be much better. Now if I go back to 3D imaging for a second, it's somewhat amazing if you look at just my experience and the Hopkins experience. We started with whatever was on the Siemens scanners with the DEC PDP-11s. You got crappy images which took a lifetime to generate. We went to Pixar and the Pixar you're talking about three to four hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment, which initially took 24 hours to do 60, 60 slices or so into 84 3D images, and we got it faster to an hour. And then we went to Next, which was the first platform where Steve went after he left Apple, Steve Jobs, and then we did stuff on the Sun workstations, and then we really got great quality on the expensive silicon graphics workstations, the infinite reality, for example. And then you went to the cheaper sun, which was only $50,000, the O2, which then tended to spread the technology. And then you went to the SGIs with special processing boards, which then you could do on cheaper platforms like a Dell workstation uh, with NVIDIA boards, Volume Pro boards. Then we went to HP or almost any generic workstation with these special NVIDIA boards. And now we can do 3D imaging on iPads using NVIDIA boards. The cost has gone down from hundreds of thousands of dollars to hundreds of dollars in about a span of 25 years. And it's not just the cost, it's the quality. I always like to show this image, and that's 82. If you're really good, that's a dysplastic hip. And then things changed. By 1986, there was a small company on the West Coast called Pixar, which at that time was actually a division of Lucasfilms. And you can see from this quote that they presented at a meeting. And at that meeting, we participated and uh, we started working with Pixar to do 3D imaging. And I remember the presentation Bob Drebin did at RSNA in the Phillips booth because people gathered around every single time and they got a standing ovation. Yes, I know they were standing already, but I've never seen anything be applauded on the exhibit floor at the RSNA except for that moment. And there's no doubt that was a changing moment. Now, it's funny, those are the images. Now, what this showed was you can spin it around, and yes, there was different colors, and yes, it was red and white and green, which meant fat and muscle and bone, but it was a start. And the article by Drebin and Carpenter and Hanrahan, which technology was in the Pixar, which we use for volume rendering, the ability to use objects thickness, this whole alpha channel, allowed image quality such as this by 88 in about an hour. And we, in fact, could do whole bodies. Now, it's amazing. This took us about seven hours to scan. Four millimeters by three millimeters was a cadaver. And it took several days of seven Pixar machines, millions of dollars worth of equipment. Now, today, I can scan that patient in about 20 seconds and render that image in a couple seconds later. It's amazing how things have changed. And if you go to the end of the spectrum, these are images on 3D done on an iPad. Focal notch hyperplasia, look at the detail. So we're going to lower cost workstations, and I can call an iPad a workstation, where you get the quality of display and whether you're doing runoff studies with dual energy and bone segmentation. It goes back to the point that we will see continued change. And we predict the fusion of this technology. And surely as things get cheaper, I think you're going to see things like our experience of how the growth of 3D imaging now is over in 2011, broke 10,000, and continues to grow at about 7 to 10% a year. 
When you look at 3D imaging, whether it's the coronary arteries with vessel segmentation, particularly in complex vascular anatomy, that's a nice case of a normal right coronary. Whether it's looking at the mesenteric vessels, looking, in this case, at occlusion of the patient's SMA, uh, in this patient with ischemia, the ability to acquire data in a few seconds, process it, and give these excellent displays is critical in patient management. When you look forward, these things and others like dual energy and perfusion will become mainstream. These are things we talk about now, but these are things that will be routine. Just simply being able to separate bone from contrast, easy to look at the base of the skull, the circle of Willis, runoff studies, bone removal, and I won't go through this in detail, I'll do this in a different lecture. X-ray attenuation is caused by the Compton effect, coherent scattering, the photoelectric effect, and the photoelectric effect depends on the atomic number of the material. And so when you look at different materials, you're able to take advantage of that with the photoelectric effect peaking at element 55 and iodine being 53 and barium 56 in close proximity. And so you can see the advantage when you're trying to separate calcium from contrast. And here's a periodic table. I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I had a lot less elements on there. But this bone removal is ideal. Dual energy works better than classic bone removal and faster. And we're looking at ways of removing not only the bone, but then removing the calcium to be able to look at vessels. Uh, this article by Valos talking about its superiority, faster and technically superior to threshold-based bone subtractions. So again, something to make our job easier. So in this case, in a popliteal runoff, we can now see popliteal artery aneurysms, single energy and dual energy, but look how much better you see the peripheral vessels the distal vessels on the dual energy. Yes, I can go back in and do some editing and fix that single energy, but I did some quick editing, but it's hard sometimes. It takes a lot of work, and here we're minimizing the work. We talk about unique capabilities, in this case, bony erosions with high soft tissue density, and this was a case of gout. And whether you, know, you think gout is a good idea, it's probably not the ideal reason for doing CT, but it can be helpful, but it is a way of thinking about what we can do in terms of looking at densities in tissue, perhaps we can look at you know, perfusion with dual energy, looking at viability of tumor. It's all on the post-processing side. And when you look at post-processing, quantification becomes so critical. Analysis of plaques, looking at degree of stenosis, looking at plaque composition, looking at how the plaque may be classified to get a better understanding or looking at the individual chambers of the heart and looking at cardiac perfusion. It's all a matter of getting more information from the same study. And if you're using radiation, the more information you get out of a study, the better the use of that radiation indeed is. We talk about new strategic approaches, new tools designed with volume visualization such as CAD systems from nodule detection, to P detection, to virtual colonoscopy, new tools to be used as a second reader, for example. Just something as simple as cardiac CT. Can you have a tool that allows you to have a second reader in a sense? Well, there's a company which allows you to do this. You can see in this example where you're looking at the segmentation of the aorta and the coronaries, the tracking of the vessels, very nicely shown in this example. The computer then 
separating the vessels, segmenting the vessels, and displaying them. And this is a very, very nice example of technology at work trying to make your job easier. So you can see in this case with the core analyzer that you're able to really look with accuracy. And again, is it better than you reading? Probably not, but it can be helpful. It can provide a second reader approach. And particularly for people who have less experience, it's very, very valuable. And you can see, here's a patient with a history of chest pain and prior cath with 50% LED stenosis. Here's a couple quick images showing you the dense calcified plaque present in different projections. Here's how it looks when you use the Arcadia system. You can see it found the area of concern. It then shows you each of the vessels and where the problems are. Here's how the other vessels look, and this is sent back to your PAC system. So again, something to make things better. Take another step forward. What about soft plaque or non-calcified plaque? This auto plaque technique, this new software developed by Day at Cedar sinai in LA, is a way of detecting non-calcified plaque, which we can do already, but now you can quantify and define it. And the new software makes it very easy to do, and it shows very strong interscan reproducibility in this article uh, that, that was published, looking at some data from Hopkins where we had two scans on patients in close timing that had non-calcified plaque, and this showed that CT can be used as a way of quantifying and then looking for change following therapy. So a very, very important, but these tools are what allows us to do the process. And you can see how reproducible the data was. And here's just one common data set. There's so much you can do within cardiac. An article published last year talking about the ability to combine imaging properties that may be spatial, temporal, or spectral in color-coded multispectral imagery that we can combine functional and morphologic data so indeed becomes very, very important. And here's just a look at those images. This company, Physiodynamics, uh, basically developed this technology, which is very exciting as a way of better understanding motion of the heart. They develop a new way of looking at motion. They talk about motion coherence. And again, this is beyond the subject of this talk, but just to give you a feel of what we can do, look at the quality of the images where you can see the actual images moving. You can see, look how nicely we can see the aortic valve leaflets. Look at the detail we're getting. Or in the uh, next slide, look at the flow maps. So you can see very nicely the velocity map fusions. Indeed, very, very important. And I think one of the big changes it will be this post-processing will finally become mainstream. And it will be what you need to do and what you're expected to do. That train from looking at the hips over a short period of time, you can see the changes. Now look at how the hips look. But look at that kidney, which is a transplant kidney, and look how we can look at the vascular map. Look at the detail of the smallest of vessels, whether it's the anastomosis of the arteries or veins. There's so much we can look at. And it's not just in cardiac, it's not just in vascular, but it's in oncology. And there are many changes in oncology, but let's do this. Let's take a short break and let me come back with where we see oncology CT going over the next decade or so. Thanks very much.